Connor McDavid is on track to do just about everything in professional hockey, and a lot of hockey fans thought 100 points in 56 games, that's a tall order. At the same time, if anyone can do it, surely it's Connor McDavid. Except he now might actually do what we thought no one was going to do. So will he do it? Plus, which other names have made great impressions this season? Episode 267 of the Lace Em Up Podcast starts right now. And now, it's time to Lace Em Up. Here's Brett and Steve. And welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Steve Ellsworth. I'm Brett Tubuff. Before we get into our main topic, Brett, we do have uh, some other hockey news to talk about, including two retirements and a broadcast rights deal. Right. Um, yeah, so the, the the two big retirements that happened this week, feels like so long ago when this happened, but I guess that's what happens when we record late in the week. Um, we have uh, Andrew Shaw. Uh, he retired. Um, he retired, I think, almost like the day we we had our last podcast out. Um, he, uh, yeah, so he's a 29-year-old. Uh, he's 29 years old, he retires at. Um, and he had 247 points in 544 games. Um, he is a two-time Stanley Cup winner. I guess he wasn't... Okay, so he wasn't involved in the, uh, the first Stanley Cup, the Blackhawks won, but... Um, but yeah, he he played um, seven years in Chicago, and then he um, actually let's see here. So he did five years in Chicago. Then he got traded to Montreal, um, where he played for three years there, um, and then he took two years back in Chicago. Um, and then he only played in fourteen games this season, uh, four points in fourteen games, which I guess isn't too bad. But I think, like, when he was in Montreal, he had some concussion issues, and he's one of those ones that um, is retiring early because of injury. And, uh, yeah, he said that it just came to a point where he felt like um, it just wasn't worth it, and he wanted to save his, you know, he wanted a, a life to live. And, um, and you know, he's already won a cup, he's, or two cups, in fact, so, um, and he's already, he'll never have to buy a drink in Chicago again type of player um who's like your prototypical power forward and something that a lot of teams need um when you know the playoffs comes around uh because you know you need that tough gritty type player um and and yeah this um i guess this works i don't think this he's like a stanley he's a hall of famer um but um but yeah he was he was one of those like he's he was a good player um, and I, th- I think that's what people will think of uh, towards, you know, just when they look back at, at this guy. Yeah, and it's Andrew Shaw is a classic case of if injuries didn't slow him down, right. uh, what else could he have done uh, as an NHL player? And he wasn't the most prolific goal scorer. I mean, he did have in his final season with Montreal – 40-plus points, his best point total of his uh, career, as a matter of fact. Uh, 19 goals, 28 assists, 47 points. That was his best individual season to go along with 135 shots in uh, 63 games. Um, 
at that point, it was around that time where concussions started uh, to creep in. Uh, in 1917, he missed 14 games after suffering his first concussion, also missed one playoff game. And then um, there was a neck injury in 2018-19. He missed 15 games because of that. In December 2019, which was in the earlier stages of last season, which took forever to finish, he suffered his second NHL concussion. He missed 44 regular season games and all nine playoff games as a result of that. And then this year, February 11th, was the last NHL game he ended up playing. He got another concussion. At that point, doctors said... You can play hockey, but if you suffer another concussion, you could for some serious health consequences. And at that point, he made the decision to step aside. So doctors basically told him, hey, if you go up there on the ice, you're you're risking your future, essentially. And he took that to heart and made the tough decision uh, to hang up the skates for good. But what I will remember Andrew Shaw for is his ability to thrive in playoff atmospheres. Playoffs is basically what he lived for. Like, you take a look, even at his final OHL season with the Owen Sound attack, he had, like, I think 55 points in the regular season, and then he has, like, 10 goals and 17 points in the playoffs. And that trend continued when he was with Chicago in 2013 and 2015, where a bottom six guy that could do a little bit of everything he could score he could hit he could fight he was an energy guy for them and he just elevated his game when the stage was at its biggest and at its brightest and that won him over with hawks fans and it will forever make him a blackhawks favorite and i don't think he's gonna have its number retired but i think every single time he goes to the rink Every single time uh, his photo appears on the Jumbotron, he'll, be, he'll probably be the most popular player in the building. That's just the type of player he was. Yeah, it's interesting because, like, now, like, I know, like, just from, like, the Bruins' perspective, like, there's, well, I mean, they play them, but that's not where I was going with this, uh, was, like, in terms of number retirements, um, I know that there, there, Terry O'Reilly, for instance, he was... He got his number retired, and he played a like Andrew Shaw played a very similar style to Terry O'Reilly. So it wouldn't shock me if Andrew Shaw gets his number retired. Um, but um, yeah, at the same time, I don't think he's getting into the Hall of Fame. Um, but there is like a chance that yeah, you're right. Whenever he's in the building or whenever he's shown uh, or doing anything Blackhawks related, he's he's going to get a lot of cheers and everyone loves him in Chicago there. So, um, so yeah, there's that. Um, speaking of getting a lot of cheers and, and stuff of that nature, probably the bigger player to retire lately, um, is Ryan Miller. Um, he was, um, he's going to end his, um, he's still playing, but he's going to end his, um, I guess it's his 18 year career. Um, in, uh, in, uh, in the NHL, unfortunately he never won a cup, but he does have a Vezina to his name. He also has a silver medal, unfortunately for this American, um, where I, I was hoping, and he was a big reason why they even got that silver medal. Cause he was 
probably like the best player um, in that Olympic run. That's kind of what I remember him for. Um, I also remember him for the fact, unfortunately, on on his part, when uh, Lucic uh, rushed him um, and hit him, um, which is like you know, there's a gray area with that um, hit, but. Um, but yeah, there was, there was that. And then he called like the whole Bruins, uh, organization gutless or he called Lucic gutless. Um, and, and that just shows how much passion he had. Um, I'm kind of sad cause I thought like throughout his career, he would at least get a Stanley cup once. Um, and, and you know, now that the ducks are one of the worst teams in the league, he doesn't even have a chance to even be like a backup for a Stanley cup playoff team so um if he's ever gonna get a Stanley Cup it'll be from a coaching standpoint or um you know maybe a general manager standpoint but who knows if where what he's gonna do after he retires he can do whatever um but yeah he played for Buffalo for 11 years Anaheim for four years Vancouver for three and there was a one period where he uh played for St. Louis if you remember that um for 19 games he played for St. Louis um, so, um, yeah, he had a, he had a pretty good career, um, two, um, he had a th- three point, is that right? I think I'm reading that right. Um, okay, sorry, yeah, I read, I read it wrong. 2.63 GAA and a save percentage of .914, uh, for his entire career. He played in 795 games, um, and started in 642 of them, where he went uh, 30, 391, uh, 289, um, and 87, um, with uh, you know ties or overtime losses. Um, so that's pretty good. Um, I guess I, I think if I had to venture a guess, I think he'll make the Hall of Fame, but I don't think he'll be first ballot. Um, I think he'll probably take a couple more um, years for him to actually get in. And again, it wouldn't surprise me if he if he doesn't make it again, um, if he doesn't even make the Hall of Fame because he's on that verge. Um, but I, there was a time when Ryan Miller was, like, the best goalie for a few years. Um, and speaking of, like, retiring his number, I'm pretty sure Buffalo will retire his number. Um, so So he has that to look forward to. Yeah, I, I think that's a given. Yep. Like, every single year he was in Buffalo, whether they were good or whether they were bad, he gave that team a chance to win. And in 2009, 2010, that was probably peak Ryan Miller. Uh, that season in particular, he went 41-18-8 with a 2.22 GA, 89 save percentage, five shutouts. That was his Vezina winning season. And in the Olympics with Team USA, Brett, you're right. The main reason why USA even got to the gold medal game, 946 save percentage at uh, the Winter Games with a 5-1-0 record and a 1.35 goals against tournament MVP. Very, very unreal stuff there from Ryan Miller. Um, When you look at the playoff stats, however, for whatever reason, things just didn't add up. Like, the closest that Ryan Miller came to the Stanley Cup Finals was his rookie year, 05-06, when the Sabres went to Game 7 and lost to Carolina. The year after that, they went to the Eastern Conference Finals, 
in 2007 where my Ottawa Senators this time ended their season short. Uh, that was a five-game series. And after that, I, if, if memory serves me correctly, he didn't win a playoff series. Like, those two runs in 06 and 07 were probably the, the lengthiest playoff runs of his career. Right. And in the next five postseason trip, didn't have a single playoff series went to his name, which is unfortunate. But every single year, regardless of the team record, he gave his team a chance to win seven straight seasons with at least 30 victories. Um, a couple of times, at the very least, he was nominated for the Vezina um, in the running for the Hart Trophy as well. Uh, he was top 20 in hard voting for a couple of years too, which says a lot. In his rookie year, he was only eight because that was the year where he had Crosby, you had Ovechkin, you had Henrik Lundqvist. Very, very, very tough list to pick a winner from there. But he was the cream of the crop that year in his first season, first full season with the Buffalo Sabres. And ever he went, whether it was Michigan State, whether it was the AHL, he made an impression in a very short amount of time. And you look at his final results today, almost 400 career victories, more than any other American-born goalie. And I'm just thinking there, how many guys that are in the NA, that are in the NHL today, how many guys looked up to Ryan Miller? Right. You have Connor Hellebuck, you have Cal Peterson, uh, Jonathan Quick, a few years after Ryan Miller entered the league, so did he. John Gibson, um, his teammate. Yeah. John Gibson as well, Alex Nedeljkovich. There are a lot of up-and-coming American goalies, probably Jeremy Swayman too, yep. that watch Ryan Miller play for the Buffalo Sabres or whoever else. They're just like, man, that guy's amazing. I, I want to be on that stage like he was for so right. many years. And that's the kind of impact that people are going to remember when they think of Ryan Miller, not how many Stanley Cup finals he's been to or how many cups he's won. Yeah, he certainly paved the way for, like, American goaltenders. It does feel that way. Although, like, I think part of that was also, like, Tim Thomas or uh, Corey Schneider even, you know. So it's, there's, um, you know, there's, or Jimmy Howard or, like, a bunch of other goalies um, who are American. Mike Richter is a big one, too. So um, there's a lot of them who are like, oh, like, this is pretty cool. Like, you know, goalies are a cool position, and it would be cool to be a part of that Olympic team. I think that's probably what he'll be remembered mostly is that 2010 run um, in the Olympics, and then he gets the Vezina like the next year. So, um, so I think that's that's a big part of it, for sure. Um, all right, um, and then uh, TNT. Um, I guess in like media news here, we have here that um, TNT, uh, which for those people in Canada, I don't think you guys get TNT. Um, but, um, it's basically where if you've heard of Charles Barkley, uh, Shaq and, uh, Kenny, uh, that's like the basketball show. Um, that's, that channel is TNT. Um, yeah, we do get some basketball games okay. like the national televised basketball games on TSN, but that's about okay. all we see of them. Got it. But like, do you even get Charles Barkley? Uh, yeah, sometimes we do. Okay. So he's on that channel. Um, I think it was like, it, I, I don't know if NBC has actually ever said it before, but 
I think the the big reason why they like they got like Mike Milbury and Jeremy Roenick was because they wanted to create something like what uh, Inside the NBA has with Charles Barkley and Shaq and Kenny. Um, and uh, they never actually found a way to do that. And um, and maybe TNT will has a better chance of it just because they do have those guys and, and know what it takes to to provide that. Um, of course, and, ESPN... And Charles Barkley even follows the sport a little bit, yeah. too. I think he has connections with uh, John yeah. Cooper, the Tampa Bay Lightning, that I coached there. Yeah, I, I remember reading a story about that, yeah, that he's like a hockey fan, too. Um, but yeah, I think it, it would be cool, uh, just to see what TNT can do with this. Uh, I think it's, it's kind of cool. It, like right now the NBA, um, is like, you know, they, they, their rights are with TNT and ESPN. And I think, um, they also have a couple of other, uh, channels that I'm blanking on, but those are the main two. Um, so I think they have baseball too. T- yeah, TB- TBS has baseball, um, which is separate. But, yeah, TBS, I guess, would come in part with TNT as well. So, um, yeah, it's it's kind of um, it's cool that, like, like I think for years when ESPN uh, dropped the contract and it seemed like no channel wanted it, um, and now it's, it's kind of cool that, like, all the big dogs want it. And it's not, not to take anything away from NBC, but... Um, but it is, it does set it differently when you're on ESPN, when you're on TNT, cause that's where NBA is and they're huge. Um, they're big, they're way bigger than the NHL is, um, in the States at least, not obviously not in Canada, but, um, but so it, it's just cool from this American fan to be like, oh, like there's, um, there's, uh, like we're getting some big companies or some big channels uh, being a part of it, and, and that's a cool thing to see, for sure. Yeah, I mean, and and like appealing to the young demographic is something that uh, they want to try to do, and the NHL is enthusiastic about, and Turner Sports yeah. is enthusiastic about, and the numbers back it up that the younger demographic is really hopping on board brand, which is great, because that is the future of the sport. Yep. Um, the the other thing that a couple of things that interest that intrigued me about this is as of next year the main bases for hockey broadcasting in the United States are going to be based in Hartford and Atlanta. Yep. Who used to have NHL teams but don't anymore. Right. So just to turn the knife in those markets a little bit, they cover hockey except for your local team. Right. 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 Because <laughs> they don't exist. Um, so there's that. And there's also, um, a question that I have, you're trying to juggle the NHL, the NBA, the MLB rights with, with all of these, with, with the scheduling and whatnot, I guess in some parts it'll make it easier because you know how the NBA is going to schedule its playoffs and right. that'll, and, and Bettman acknowledged it would be easier on that front, but similar to the situation with Sportsnet here in Canada, that has a huge chunk of the national rights here in Canada. Um, TSN has regional rights to some markets like Ottawa, for example. Um, but when it comes to the national, you also have the Blue Jays, 
coverage as well. When they are on, there's also the Toronto Raptors coverage right. that you have to juggle around. And there's only a select amount of channels. So you look at the United States and how big of a landscape it's going to be. I'm sure there are going to be several times where people of a certain fan base want to watch their team play on national TV and they're stashed on a channel that they can't get because there are so many different kind of sporting events going on at the same time. And you're going to be like, why'd you put this at the bottom of the barrel? Like I I access to this. I can't watch my favorite team there. I can definitely see a situation where that is going to happen at least a couple of times. And that'll be an adjustment that both, um, the TV networks and the NHL will have to adjust around. I I do want to mention first off, just because I am an American and I'm aware of this. uh, If you go to any hotel uh, currently, um, you know, all these national broadcasts are on NBCSN. And if you go to any hotel room, uh, they don't get a lot of them don't get that channel. So Mm -hmm. like it's already a problem. But pretty much every hotel room has ESPN or TNT or TBS or something. So, um, right. if anything, uh, it's it was a bigger problem when it was NBC had the only rights. But I I don't think that's going to be a huge problem now because pretty much every um, every service provider has TNT or ESPN as their basic cable. Um, the other thing to keep in mind too is I think from the ESPN deal. Um, they mentioned that they're going to put some of their games on ESPN Plus, um, which um, which is like the digital streaming platform. Um, and so I think there are going to be, like, I think if you're going to get annoyed by it, it's going to be like, if you're a hockey fan, you're going to have to buy ESPN Plus um, to watch some of your teams. Um, and I, I would imagine there may be like, Nash, like, you know, local broadcasts will always cover those games or something, but... Um, but yeah, there, th- that was always a problem, and I think it'll be better because TNT, TBS, all those channels are on hotel rooms or bars or whatever um, compared to NBCSN. Um, okay. Okay, on that note, I guess there is, like, I mean, there's two ways to go about this because uh, for the main topic... Um, there's one part, I guess this is a good transition here, but I do have to say that first off, we, we decided not to, we were going to do something about the playoff races, but, uh, we started to realize that like most of the playoffs or most of the divisions have kind of like decided to, to do that already. Um, but I do want to connect this story to TNT and the media stuff because, um, in the States, um, the NBC doesn't like, I mean, for obvious reasons, they don't really show Oilers games. They don't show Toronto Maple Leafs games. Um, so there isn't really that, I mean, it makes sense because like those totals won't count. Cause it's not like, you know, people from Toronto are going to be watching the NBC screen. So it makes sense. Um, but it is like, I do hate that McDavid is in a Canadian team just because I can't watch him um, all the time. I have to, like, go on a website just to watch him. Um, so that's a, a frustrating part. But I imagine, like, what, uh, next year when ESPN and TNT do get the rights, they're not going to be, like, they should focus more 
on get, making sure Austin Matthews on there, Brady Kachuk's on there, McDavid, of course. Um, like, it doesn't, like, you know, it doesn't matter what team you're on um, or where you are. Like, you should always show those guys instead of, like, Chicago and Detroit where, like, yeah, they you know, they're big cities and, of course, they care about their hockey, but um, they're not that exciting right now. So... So I, 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 if there's anything to take away from this, I, that's the biggest fix that I hope they do is show Edmonton games, show Toronto games, show Winnipeg games, show like, like most of the exciting teams are in the, are in Canada. Um, and I never get to see them just cause NBC doesn't do that. Um, anyways, going to this, uh, McDavid, um, if you haven't heard, this is probably the biggest story we have going on. Uh, McDavid uh, has uh, it has 91 points right now, um, which is pretty incredible, and that's in 51 games right now, um, which is incredible. Um, and he has six games right now, to, or Edmonton has six games right now, in order to get... Um, McDavid would need to get six points in... Or, sorry, nine points... In those six games to get it. Uh, four of those games are against Vancouver, if you remember, because Vancouver had COVID issues and, and all that stuff. Um, and then also Mo- they play uh, Montreal twice as well. Um, so those are like the, um, the six games that Edmonton has to play yet. Um, he does play tonight, so... Uh, Maybe David scores six points and, and all that stuff. Um, maybe there, there is a chance for that. Um, so I guess, um, and then also in terms of like McDavid um, and the media stuff, he, um, so he was asked about like, you know, what, uh, like, what are, what are you thinking about in terms of like the 100, getting 100 points and stuff. And he says, Personally, I want to continue to play good hockey. Our group wants to continue to play good hockey. We want to go into the Stanley Cup playoffs on a good note. Personally, it's a number. Obviously, it would be kind of different to be able to do it in a shortened season. I'm not going to change anything. I'm just going to keep playing my game. And if I get there, I get there. And if not, whatever. I mean, so this is really the the right attitude. And, of course, um, it's not like surprising that he said this, that that's kind of his personality. Um, but, um, but I feel like, like he's definitely thinking about it. I, I, I feel like there's, there's no other way of saying that, like, he's not thinking about it. Um, so that, that, that part annoys me just a little bit. Cause I know like he's saying the right things and it's like, I don't even expect him to say like, yeah, I'm, I'm like, that's all I'm thinking about. Like, obviously that's, <laughs> uh, that's not what I expected. The, the team speaks up. Yeah, it's yeah. just like, yeah, I prefer about the individual stats yeah. and my team making the playoffs. And, <laughs> yeah. and, and like, if he said something of that nature, I'd be like, wait, where's Connor McDavid? Are you, are you like, who is this guy? Right. So, so it's not like I'm expecting like him to say some arrogant type thing, but at the same time, it's just like, you have to be thinking about it. It's just that, that, that quote kind of annoyed me, but, Again, like what else? What what do I want him to say? Really, it's, anyways. Um, so so it, it does seem like this at this point that he's going to reach a hundred uh, points. I'm um, in fifty six games. 
Um, I'm more annoyed by the fact that, like I just mentioned, the fact that like he's not on a, an American team and he can't be, um, and no one's talking about it in America, it feels like. Um, it's pretty much everyone's just talking about it in Canada. So I'm annoyed by that point, but that's just me. Um, and I'm also annoyed that the fact that like this is a 56-game season, um, and I, I'm and it feels like Connor McDavid's finally in his prime, um, and and he only has 56 games instead of a full 82. Because I would be curious to see if he could get like how far he would get if it was an 82-game season. Um, the other things that I want to mention too before I take it to you. Um, is one that he, um, it does very much seem like um, this, the coaching staff for Edmonton does want him to get it because they're like putting him on when there's empty nets opportunities and stuff. So um, so I just, I guess that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But um, I do wonder if like, I, it would be a little bit unfortunate if he gets the 100 point mark and it's like an empty net point, <laughs> you know, it's like a point that he, that's like the easiest goal that he could have scored or been a part of. Um, but, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's quite an achievement. And, um, whenever the Edmonton Oilers are playing, um, it's that point, like if you're not watching before, which you should have, um, you should watch now cause, uh, he's doing something extraordinary. So, so Steve, uh, do you think he will do it? and um, any other uh, notes that you have on this. So just taking a look at his overall stats and his split stats, his success against other teams, it, it, it was kind of a back and forth kind of idea, like maybe he can or maybe he won't, but he actually might. Um, so like for McDavid, nine points in six games, just like, I think the general reaction is, of course, he's going to get 100 points. How could he not? Um, we talked about those two games against Montreal. The Habs held him in check for the first four games of the season. McDavid was held to just two assists, and that was it in the first four games. Uh, then the next two games that he played, he pretty much went off. A goal and two assists, April 19th. Same stat line a few nights later. In both games, he played the minutes and changed 27 minutes on the nose, April 19th. And I think it was 27 minutes and 10 seconds uh, in the other game. Um, the four games against Vancouver that he has coming up, um, the Canucks held McDavid pointless in his first game of the year, January 13th. Funny enough. Uh, and then in every single meeting since with Vancouver, he's posted at least one point. He also has a pair of four-point games against the Canucks, uh, the latest of which happened Monday in a statement 5-3 win uh, for Oddly enough, Montreal and Vancouver, not the teams that McDavid has had the most success against. Of course, the Sens being as bad as they are and their defense being as vulnerable as they are, 21 points in nine games against Ottawa for McDavid is not surprising at all. But they don't have any more games against the Sens until next season. So they don't have Ottawa to prey on. McDavid and the Sens, that book is closed for now. Winnipeg, however, 22 points in nine games for McDavid against the Jets. However, they don't face Winnipeg any more times unless they face each other in the playoffs, which 
assuming Winnipeg and Montreal stay where they are and Winnipeg is able to hold into third, it should be a first-round matchup uh, between the Jets and the Oilers. So that, that should be an intriguing series. You take a look at how bad the Canucks are falling right now, where they get two big wins against Toronto. Then they have four games against Ottawa. They drop three of the four. And since their lone win against Ottawa, they haven't won a game since. And their most recent loss, as I mentioned, against Connor McDavid and the Oilers um, on Monday night. So the fact that Edmonton and McDavid get a couple of days in between to rest up because of the rescheduled games, it wouldn't surprise me if McDavid plays in every single remaining game and he has a chance to break the record. That does mean I think that's what they should do. Because right. you look at the Edmonton Oilers right now. They've already secured their playoff spot. They're in. Straight up. They're in the playoff picture. You have Drysdale going. You have Nugent Hopkins starting to pick it up. Pooley-Arby's look pretty good. Leon Drysdale, Connor McDavid, both are dominant. Mike Smith, who is nearing 40 years of age, looking pretty solid, playing good goaltending for them. Great. Everything's looking good. You need that team as close to on the mark, as close to full strength, as close to 100% as you can get before round one starts. Because as Nikita Kucherov will tell you in 2018-2019, regular season doesn't matter. He lights the, the lamp a bunch of times during the regular season. Columbus sweeps Tampa Bay, and he's right. pretty much an afterthought throughout the whole series. You look at the Oilers last year after McDavid's big year, after Dreisaitl's monster hard trophy campaign they lose the play in series to chicago they don't even go the full five games they're out in four right that can't happen this year especially when one canadian team again i can't say it enough is guaranteed to make the final four so the oilers can't miss on their opportunity if mcdavid misses like two of the final six games for the sake of resting him so be it the last thing you want is him getting injured in a meaningless game. So I think at the very least, Dave Tippett, the coach of the Oilers, is going to manage his minutes. If not bench McDavid entirely, he'll he'll manage his minutes and make sure that in meaningless situations, Connor McDavid isn't out there. At the same time, you look at what he's done in some of the games where he hasn't played 20 minutes a night, and you think... He could play under 20 minutes a night and break the record. Like, for example, let's take a look here. Um, May 3rd against Vancouver, his recent game, two goals, two assists, two shots. Played 18-40 in that game. Uh, another game, he got a hat trick on three shots and added two assists on February 20th against Calgary. He played 17 minutes and 33 seconds in that game. In a game against Ottawa, January 31st, one goal, four assists, five shots, played 17-12 in that game. St. Patrick's Day against Calgary, three points, five shots, played 17 minutes and eight seconds. And then we get to the crown jewel of them all, where he gets a hat trick, one assist, and seven shots against Winnipeg, April 26th. That was about two weeks ago. He played 16 minutes and three seconds in that game. So... If he can do that amount of damage in less than 20 minutes of action, 
you could put him out there for 15 minutes and he could still get three points yeah. if the opportunities arise. He doesn't need much time to victimize the opposition, to create scoring chances, to set up goals, to score goals by himself end to end. So I, I think if I had to put a percentage number on McDavid hitting 100 points, I, I'd go with 55%. I think 55% chance he gets 100 yeah, I guess that is a good point in that you probably want your guys to be rested and if you're, like, they're definitely in the playoffs and it's not like these games really matter so much. But at the same time, like, he needs nine points in six games. It's something that he could realistically do. Like, he had four points the other night. Um, he could realistically get it in, like, three games or something. And then you just take three games off as soon as you... As soon as he hits a hundred points, like you can just start to uh, like not have him there, um, and not play him. Um, so, so I I would say that it's probably better than fifty points because I think he is that good, and especially when they're playing like teams like Vancouver, uh, where like you know Vancouver doesn't even want to play um, at this point because they are they're focused on recovering from COVID and all that stuff. So, um, so I, I think it's, it's something where I feel like he'll just get it and then, um, he'll get it in like two or three games even. Um, and then he'll, uh, and then he'll rest until the playoffs. Um, but, um, it would be a cool feat if he can actually do it. Uh, but I, I do see what you're saying that they may want to just give him some rest so that he's, he's ready for the playoffs. Um, but I think like it, it like like Dave Tibbet like has put him out for the empty netters, and the only reason why they would do that is because they want him to get this record, or they want him to get this kind of point status and stuff. So, um, and even if he like I guess if he like stops playing from now until the end of the season he'd still be, like, you know, he'd still get the most points per game in this new era. Um, so so I think he already has the record. It just wouldn't feel the same if it's, like, uh, like 54 games or something. Because it's like, well... Yeah, I don't think you know, they go to that length where they're just, like, you sit him out for the rest of the playoffs because at that right. point you start to rest worry the about season. the rust factor because, like, right. you don't want him to not play for three weeks then put him out in the first right, round right. series and he doesn't look like himself. You need him to get some type of action. Right. Um, but don't think they should overuse him in those right. six games at the same time. So I, I think it's like, I, I think he will get the 100 points. It's just a matter of when. Um, and then once he does, I think I think they will rest him. Um, yeah. Um, so so I think that's, that's where I stand from it. Um, <laughs> Okay, so we also have, uh, we have like five other players that we thought should deserve some spotlight, some showcase to it because they've been really good in their own right. Um, and I'll, uh, surprise, surprise, we have a senator in here and we also have a Bruin in here. Um, I know it's we're we're very on brand right now, but. We need we need to rep our teams at some point. At some point, yes. Um, I, I think especially it just, when especially when my team's got nothing to play for now. Exactly, and I think it has something to do with the fact that like we, um, you know, because we're emailing pretty much every day now, and 
we don't have any any other platform to really say like, oh, this is what we think about our players, and we don't have the Bruins send segment, so we can't do it there. Yeah. Uh, so, so yeah. Uh, so the first one, speaking of that, uh, we have Brady Kachuk, um, and the the thing that stands out with Brady Kachuk is, uh, well, first off, he's playing on a bad team. Uh, sorry, Steve, but I mean you're you're aware they're they're I not. I mean the record good. doesn't lie. Right? <laughs> exactly. It hasn't lied for the past two to three years. Yeah, yeah. We know what they are. But <laughs> they're fu- a team on the rise. They're a team on the rise. What's funny is is when I'm looking at the stats here on all the teams, um, like the, uh, it's on like a fantasy site, Fantrax, um, mm-hmm. and they like it goes by shots on goals, and I can also sort by hits as well. I mean, I probably could use like the NHL site or whatever, but. I see the owning percentage, and most of these guys have a, are a hundred percent owned in their leagues. But like for Brady Kachuk, he's ninety seven percent owned, which I just find really really funny. It's like there's there's like three leagues where like Brady Kachuk is not owned. <laughs> it's like I want to yeah, be in that league. All of, yeah, probably all of them are playoff leagues. That's because possible. I guarantee yeah. you, if this was a playoff league the owning numbers would not be high for Ottawa yeah. because they're not in the playoffs. Right. Or leagues that don't count hits or something. But even still, yeah. like, uh, what I, I haven't even said what, what why he's been doing so well uh, to the point where we have to showcase him. Uh, the fact that uh, if you go, if you search by shots on goals, you find that Brady Kachuk has 203 shots on goals. That puts him second in the league and shots on goals. Um, Austin Matthews is first in shots on goals. Um, and then if you go to the hits category, um, there's also uh, Brady Kachuk has 228 hits. Uh, that puts him second um, in the league for hits. Um, and the first one is Radko Gudis, uh, Steve's favorite player, other favorite player, uh, 235 hits uh, for Radko Gudis, but Brady Kachuk has 228 Either way, it's impressive because when you look at the hits list, um, it's Radko Gudis, who's a defenseman, Brady Kachuk, uh, forward, uh, Yanni Hakenpah, uh, who's a defenseman, uh, then Cal Clutterbuck, who's like a fourth-line uh, forward, then you have Rasmus Ristolainen, Nikita Zadorov, um, who are both defensemen, Josh Archibald, I could go on and on. But like the point is, is that usually on the hits, those are usually stats that defensemen... Uh, take a hold of, um, but like it's it's very very rare to have like a forward, who's someone who's on the top line get that many hits and that many shots on goals because mo- most of these people who are on this hits list don't get a lot of shots because they just keep on hitting because they don't have the puck. Um, so it's just impressive to the fact that like Brady Kachuk is able to get both two hundred hits. And 200 shots on goal, and if you like, it's the exact opposite when you look at the shots on goals, where it's like none of the none of the other players are even close to 200. I mean, yeah, you have like Ovechkin, but like he's closer to 100 than 200. So it's like he may be the first one in a while. I I, I don't know how long they've taken the the hits category, but he may be the first one in a long time to have both over 200 shots on goals and 200 hits um, in a season, um, especially in a season that's, you know, that's 56 games long. Um, so so that's impressive. I'm sure you have more stats that you want to mention, Steve, so I'll, uh, I'll bring the mic to you. <laughs> I won't go too 
deep into it because he's a pending RFA. I'm going to get a big contract, and I'll save most of them for that. But I will delve uh, into some of them, um, mostly for this season. So you look, look at his stats, 16 goals, 18 assists, 34 points in 52 games, and you think and there are probably some other players in the NHL, a good amount that have more goals and more points. But again, remember, this is a very young team that's on the rise, but still not necessarily middle of the pack, still a bottom 10 team. And you look at some of the young guys that they have, you have Tim Stutzla, who is just under 30 points. You have Josh Norris, who's hit 30 points. Drake Batherson, who's hit 30 points. Connor Brown, who's been a pretty good goal scorer in his own right, also has 30 points. Thomas Shabbat has 30 points. But on a very young team, you need guys that can lead the charge, and Brady does that to a T. Um, we mentioned the part about him being second in hits and being second in shots on goal. At the very least, he is top three or top five in those categories. In various points throughout the year, I've just taken a look at the leaders of shots on goal and the leader of hits, because I know Spray was near the top. Consistently, he's been around the top five in both categories for a good amount of time this season. So consistently, he's been at the top of the food chain in both categories, which is great to see. You love to see consistency. Now, you look at Austin Matthews and the shots on goal. Matthews has 12 game winners, 39 goals, 10 power play goals, and this guy averages 21 minutes and 44 seconds per game this season. And he also has a dynamic offense that also features Mitch Marner, William Nylander, and John Tavares, to name a few. Brady Kachuk, where most of the offense revolves around Brady Kachuk, has only averaged 18 minutes and 18 seconds of ice time per game. So not only doing damage, he's doing as much damage, I would argue, with less ice time and less of a lethal established lineup around him. And the kicker with Brady is he also draws penalties. In fact, he's drawn 32 of them this year, which you're thinking, oh, who's ahead of him? Nobody. He's first. First in the NHL, penalties drawn, 32 penalties drawn, only taken 21. So that's a plus 11 differential when it comes to penalties taken versus uh, when it comes to penalties drawn versus penalties taken. So that's great. Now, Ottawa's power play right now is still near the lower tier of the league. It's bottom 10. But on some nights, their power play has been pretty efficient, and we've seen glimpses of how good they can be once they play that way on a consistent basis. Having a guy like Brady moving forward that can draw penalties as well as he does, that only helps him moving forward. And right now, he's got five power play goals to his credit. So he can draw penalties and then score right after, which is great. And that brings me finally to his missed shots. He has 59 of those, I believe, so far this season. That puts him near the top 20, around the same area as some guy, what's his name? Oh, yeah, Artemi Panarin. And I'm not going to say that he's going to be superstar Artemi Panarin good, but he can be an impact player, and he will be an impact player for many, many years to come. And I also see a lot of Daniel Alfredson characteristics in Kachuk's game. And Alfredson, for years in Ottawa, was a quiet leader on the ice, where he doesn't always go for the risky play he just goes for the simple smart play you rarely see him make a mistake that ends up in your net 
And I feel that Brock has shown that in spades since his arrival to Ottawa. And maybe it's because he learned a lot from Mark Stone during his rookie season. I'd like to think part of it is the reason why he's been as much of a leader as he is um, this year and in years past. But whatever the case may be, Brady Kachuk is the future captain of this team. And if the Sens are wise, they will show it to him with the next contract they give him. Yeah, that. Um, yeah, I guess that is a good point that he is has a contract coming up, and I guess it will. These statistics will only help him, especially. I guess it's more impressive just the fact that he's on a bad team and he's doing this well mm-hmm. already. It just looks like imagine what he's going to do when he has better players around him. Yeah, eventually. like he sets yep. the tone. He's a yep. tone setter. Like he True. makes the first hit or he takes the first shot. People follow his lead. That's yep. what you need from a leader, and Kachuk is a great one for Ottawa. So, of course. I, at, the, at, the, at the first point, I was thinking in 2018 they should have drafted Zadina, but I'll give full credit to Pierre Dorian. I think he took the right player when he took Brady. Yeah, I mean, Zadina, it's still too early to tell with Zadina because I think he's another guy where I, fi- I wonder what he would be if, um, you know, if he had better teammates. But... Um, but yeah, I, I think you're right that I think at this point, Brady Kachuk has been better than uh, Philip Sedina so far, uh, for obvious reasons. Um, talking about high draft picks here, uh, the next guy is uh, Casey Middlestad. Um, and I think what's noteworthy about this is that, um, so I, I did the math here. Um, and after, you know, so the Sabres... Um, we, we even did a full episode on this. We, we talked about this a lot, but, like, you know, the Sabres, uh, Jack Eichel gets injured um, and is out for some time. Um, and then uh, Ralph Kruger gets fired, um, and their season is done pretty much. They get that, like, 11-game losing streak, and that pretty much does them in in an already tough division. Um, and um, in comes Don Granado. Um, and, uh, and this also means that because Jack Eichel is injured, this means that like more guys can play, um, because of Jack Eichel's injury. And we get to see what Casey Middlestack can do with more ice time, uh, because Jack Eichel's injured. Um, and so just to give you a sense of what happened, um, after Kruger was fired, uh, he has 16 points in 26 games. Um, he's become what we all expected him to be. He's, he's been, like, the best player on, on the Sabres for a, a while. When you're watching the games like I have, um, it's um, he's, like, the best player on the ice for the Sabres. Um, and, uh, and, like, th- that's different from when Ralph Kruger was coaching, um, who had uh, uh, Middlestad had five points in 13 games while Kruger was there. Um, I mean, if, and, and even to the point where, like, Middlestad was, um, like, healthy scratch sometimes and things of that nature. And, you know, <laughs> talking about bust, we thought, like, you know, there's potential that Casey Middlestad isn't, um, is never going to reach that level of what we expect him to. Um, and it turns out, I mean, he's, he's still probably not there yet where we're, like, going to hold him on um, for a long time, but... Like, you know, we still want to see what he's like in a full season when Jack Eichel's back. But the fact that, like, he's been doing so well 
with all this stuff just shows that he's been so, um, that he's like, you know, that like he still has some potential and he still has something going for him. He's another RFA this year as well. Um, so I will be curious to see what contract he gets next year, uh, considering that this is the best he's played um, in his NHL career um, by far. Um, the other thing that pretty much stands out that is a big reason why it stands out to probably only me is the fact that like um, I have him in a league that counts faceoff wins, and like I see that routinely he gets like. Um, eight face-off wins, nine face-off wins. There was one time where he got 15 face-off wins against the Bruins. So uh, so he's really establishing himself as the face-off guy. And he may not, like, shoot a ton. He may not uh, score a ton when he's, um, you know, when eventually uh, Eichel gets back. But um, it's just, it's really cool that, to see that he's been good uh, this long or this, um, you know, at least he has some, something to, to, uh, go back home about like, oh, at least I, you know, I had that time span where I was pretty good, but who knows if he can, uh, build on it. I think that's the next question is like, will he stay this way uh, next year, um, wherever he goes or when Eichel is healthy again? Yeah, so when you take a look at his overall stats during the regular season this year, 10 goals, 21 points in 38 games, not bad. Uh, six power play points, 55 shots on goal, 18 takeaways, 17 giveaways. And during the season overall, he has averaged 15 minutes and 44 seconds of ice time per game. Um, so that was overall. Then you look at March 17th, the day Ralph Kruger was fired, and uh, interim coach Don Granato comes in, where he has mentioned 16 points in 25 games, four power play points. So four of his six power play points have come since the coaching change. Uh, so of his two game winners and lone shorthanded goal, 42 shots on goal from March 17th onwards, 12 takeaways, eight giveaways. So the takeaway giveaway ratio is good. Um, and he's also averaged 16.58 per game. So compared to his season average, that's, a minute 14 more per game, which again shows that the coaching staff is giving him more opportunities to succeed. Now, overall this year, Sam Reinhardt has been the most consistent forward on the Sabres, 25 goals and 40 points in 51 games. Also a pretty good shooting percentage of 20.3 in that span. And that's pretty much without Jack Eichel for the entire year and a healthy one at that. But I would argue Middlestat might be their most impressive forward since the coaching change because of the added ice time. Uh, he's centering the second line with Rasmus Asplund at left wing and Tage, uh, Tage Thompson on the right wing. Um, he's forcing turnovers. Um, nine of his 10 goals on the season have come in his past 25 games. Um, if you take a look at his 25-game pace since the coaching change, and you put that as the 82-game pace he is on, then Casey Middlestad would be on pace for 52 points instead of the 45 points he's projected overall on the season. But I think the biggest difference is confidence. He's one of the top scorers, still without Jack Eichel, 
since the trade deadline, uh, since the Kruger firing. Um, the fact that he's centering his own line and also on line two, again, is huge. It shows a lot. And I don't know how it will change when Jack Eichel comes back, like you said, Brett. But when you look at the small sample size, you see that top 10 player the Sabres were hoping they would get. And I think the big thing for whether it's Don Granato being behind the bench or someone else coming in after the season, the big thing is going to be the coach that gets Jack Eichel playing well, but gets every single person on the Sabres playing to their best potential. Because there are a lot of guys in Kruger's doghouse that have started to step it up since the coaching change. And that needs to continue beyond this season. And the play of Casey Mills, that especially. Yeah, I I am curious to see how he does next year, um, if he's able to keep it up. But I guess it's something that we'll just have to see um, for the rest of time. Um, another similar type player in that like he was drafted pretty highly and hasn't lived up to the expectations so far. Um, and it's also a little bit different because he got, he got traded uh, during the trade deadline, and I think that's a big reason why he's been doing so well. Uh, but it's Sam Bennett. Um, we all thought that, um, I think in Calgary, we all thought that he, um, he was always going to be this like third line, fourth line type player. Um, not, he was drafted fourth overall in 2014. Um, so like definitely like a bust from that standpoint, but, um, but still like, you know, not, um, but like he will, he just wouldn't be like the guy you would rely on fully until it happens. Um, so he actually got injured. So it's, it's tough to, uh, really tell how serious it is, but in the nine games since he's been in Florida, he has a uh, 13 points and nine, um, in nine games. Uh, five of those were goals, or five of those points were goals, um, eight assists. I think another big reason why he's been doing so well is he had, in those nine games, he had a, an average time of 18 minutes of ice time, um, whereas in Calgary this year, he had an average minutes of 13 minutes of ice time. So it just really goes to show you like what an increased amount of ice time can do to a person. Um and I think what's interesting, too, is and something that I've noticed is that when he's been playing for Florida, they have him as a center. Um, and he's actually doing pretty well as a center. He, he has like a um, he has a pretty good face off rate. Um, and, you know, he obviously is scoring points as well. But um, but what I find, in, well, like as opposed to Calgary, where you already have guys like uh, Johnny Gaudreau and Matthew Kachuk, and those two are like very good left wingers, but Sam Bennett's also a left winger, and they just didn't try him at center for some reason. So it's just interesting that like all of a sudden, like they just not only do they put him onto a new team, they give him more ice time, but then all of a sudden like they put him in a new position, probably a harder position from a forward standpoint to, to make as well. And he's succeeding. And that's a, another big reason why he's doing so well. Um, and what's also interesting in Florida in particular is that like last year they traded uh, Vincent Trocek to uh, Carolina. Um, and, you know, Vincent Trocek's doing pretty well in Carolina, but um, they never really addressed the center there. They pretty much, 
um, just have Barkov. They don't really have a second-line center. I guess they have Alexander Wenberg, who's doing okay, but he's not uh, doing so amazingly. But, um, but yeah, they have Sam Bennett there as a center. Um, and, uh, and then your line mates are Jonathan Huberto and Anthony Duclair, which are better line mates than Sam Bennett ever got. Um, so, so that I think those are like the bigger factors is the fact that they're putting on a line, I mean, on a line with a lot better teammates than what he got in Calgary. Um, but it just makes you wonder if like, what, like, what, why couldn't they have just made him into a center? It seems like that seemed to be the most obvious thing to me. Um, but, or just give him more ice time. Um, but I, I think, like, looking at what Calgary is doing now, it seems like um, they may st- start to regret uh, trading Sam Bennett. And, um, and I, I think uh, Florida's being rewarded for it. Um, I will also say, though, like Casey Middlestad, I don't know how long. Um, it will last, or how consistent he'll be, because that's still a question. But, um, of course, he still has that high draft pedigree. I think, I remember at the time that, like, some people were thinking that he could, he might be able to be, like, he could have been, like, a first overall pick at that draft year, Um, and he went fourth instead. But, um, but, yeah, I think... uh, it will be interesting to see if, if he's able to sustain it. It's not like he's that old. Um, he's only 24. Yeah, so on on paper, I, I just didn't think it was going to work out in Calgary. And, and people, p- people forget that in his final six games at the Flames, he had a point in five of them. So he would turn the quarter in Calgary a little bit under Daryl Sutter, but... The, the fact that there was so many inconsistencies in between all of that, I just didn't think it was going to work out and a change of scenery was needed. And I think Florida could ultimately um, utilize uh, his talent a little bit more than the Flames could this year. In his first 38 games all with Calgary, he had four goals and 12 points. So he's already surpassed that with five goals and 13 points in his first nine games with Florida. He has both of his power play points with the Panthers. Um, and I think he has two game winners, including an OT winner, too, uh, along with 36 shots on goal. I, I think that's near the top of the team as well since the trade. Um, I think there was a game or two where he had like five plus hits. Um, so, like, he, he was putting up like monster individual numbers on a game by game basis since the trade. And I think being surrounded by guys like Alexander Barkov and Jonathan Huberto, like that can really dictate the pace offensively, uh, definitely helps him. Um, but I think overall, what Florida's been able to do with their depth players is impressive. Like Sam Bennett is a plus eleven in his last nine games. Um, you look at some of the other guys um, that are also in Florida's system. Duclair, since the trade deadline, is a plus 16. Huberto is a plus 15. But you look at Alex Barkov in that span, he's a minus one. Right. You would think Barkov's would be at least a plus player during that time, but he's a minus one. And Duclair's reaping the rewards. Huberto's reaping the rewards. So is Sam Bennett. And I think just being that dynamic player 
uh, outside of the top line is really being thrived because so many people are looking at what Barkov could do and what Huberto can do and what guys like Verhage can do, but you also have Duclair, you have the likes of Frank Vitrano, who talked about in the playoff previews. I don't know if you've heard, Frank Vitrano is close to 20 goals, doesn't even have 30 points, and he's like top 20 in the league in shots on goal. Yeah, he's pretty good. I don't think he even averages 16 minutes per game. So, like, whatever guys they're putting out on the ice, it, it just, everything just seems to be clicking, whether it's Owen Tippett, whether it's Mackenzie Weger, Gustav Forsling, too, has been a revelation defensively, too, for them. So every single button that Joel Quinville has pushed, that Bill Zito has pushed to make these deals happen, everything's just seemed to work out for them. And the Sam Bennett experiment is definitely uh, the biggest one you look at the individual stats that he has logged um in his florida panthers debut he played 15 40 against tampa he had a goal and sorry he had a one shot on goal and two assists in that florida panthers debut uh his third game he had two goals on four shots in a span of 19 minutes three seconds against columbus April 24th, one assist and six shots against Carolina. And Carolina's a very good team. That was a big showing for Bennett, big showing for the Panthers that they could hang with them. So that was great. And he played 22-17 in that matchup with the Hurricanes. Then we go to a game against Nashville where he gets a goal on five shots. Only played 17-21 that game. Uh, Then another game against the Predators. Three assists, three shots in 20 minutes and 19 seconds of ice time against Chicago, just absolutely feast on them with a goal and eight shots in 21 minutes and eight seconds. That goal that he scored won the game for the Florida Panthers in overtime. And then his most latest game, because unfortunately he's injured. I don't know how serious it is, but in his latest game, he had two assists and four shots against Chicago. That was in 16 minutes and 23 seconds of ice time. So every single time he's going out there, he's making an impact, which is great. Yeah, yeah. Again, I I do wonder how much, like how consistent he'll be um, in the future. And also, you did mention it before. I mean, did get me thinking? Like once Carter Verhey comes back, like how will that unfold um, into the d- dynamic with Florida? I think there is also like a bigger point to like. The fact that he's on a line with Jonathan Huberto, who is a pretty good player. So I am wondering, like, if you put him on another line that isn't a Jonathan Huberto, like, how good will he be? It could just be that Jonathan Huberto is one of the better players in the league right now. Um, yeah, so, and, and that could be a big, tall order for Quenville because right. you want to get, you want to keep Verhage going, you want to keep Duclair going, and yep. Bennett going, and Vitrano going but you don't want to disrupt too much of the team chemistry. Right, right. So which lines work best, that's that's going to be tough to fill. It's not as easy as it sounds. Of course. Not like fantasy hockey where you just plug them in. Just right. Like, yeah, go do your thing. Get me some points. Right, or you like or you uh, you have to drop some players because they're not performing <laughs> exactly. well. Exactly. Um, so, yeah, that, that's a good point, too. It's just uh, it's going to be tough for Quinville. I would imagine he'll just stick with what works, and if it doesn't work, he'll try new things, but um, mm-hmm. like most of them do. Um, at the end of the day, if your team gets wins, you don't care. Yep. Uh, we kind of teased this at the beginning of this whole thing, um, but this is the Bruins player that I'm going to talk about. Uh, like, especially... So, uh, 
update, uh, Taylor Hall is really good, again, um, <laughs> all of a sudden. Um, but the thing that I hadn't really thought about, and I, I mean, I kind of alluded to it, and we've been talking about this forever, um, was the fact that, like, the reason why I, we wanted a li- I wanted an, a, a winger or elite winger is because, like, you have your top line with Bergeron, Pasternak, and Marchand, um, and then you have a really good center in David Krejci, but he doesn't, like, the best winger he's played on since uh, Aginla and Lucic is, like, Jake DeBrusque, and Jake DeBrusque hasn't been that good. Um, so, so David Krejci is actually who I'm going to talk about, mostly because of the... Uh, uh, the arrival of Taylor Hall and Craig Smith as well um, has made David Krejci into like the Getty Malkin basically. Um, so since Taylor Hall has been on the Bruins and played for them, uh, David Krejci has 14 points in 13 games, um, including a three. Uh, there was a, a point a couple of games ago where he had three assists. Uh, there's one that like one move that he made that was like incredible where he like was deking and diving. Of course, it was against Buffalo, but it's still impressive. He looked kind of like a Connor McDavid type type play, um, and then all all Taylor Hall had to do was shoot it, and he scores because David Krejci was just uh, just like uh, destroying every Buffalo Saber in the way. And I could watch that video every single day. He cloned himself into Brad Marchand. There are two Brad Marchands on the ice. Basically, he was just, uh, it it was probably the best move I think I've ever seen David Krejci, uh, pull. It was, um, it was amazing, but especially when he's like nearing his mid thirties. Yeah. He's 35. In fact. Yeah. Uh, so, so it's, it's, uh, so, I have a few thoughts on this. One, it's kind of like, I think this is something that Bruins fans and me, obviously, have have been asking for for a while. It's like, you know, like, like David Krejci's been really, really good. And, like, he's been having a rotating cast of wingers uh, throughout his career. And it's like, yeah, he's not Bergeron. He's not at the skill level of Marchand or Pasternak yet, obviously. But, like... The, like if you can get that second line center um, working, then you know you're 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 pretty good. Um, and the fact that like he's now cooking um, is is pretty crazy. Um, um, it's kind of like it's almost. I don't want to make this comparison, but I'm going to make this comparison. Um, I'm aware of how much of a homer I am, but I'm going to make it. Um, it's kind of like Krejci is Evgeny Malkin. And Bergeron is Sidney Crosby, where, um, like, uh, where if one player isn't performing well, um, it's okay because the other one's performing well. Um, you know, it's. So you're it's, saying David Krejci's of Kenny Malcolm. Yes, yes, basically. Um, <laughs> and. Yeah, that is a homer thing to say. <laughs> but, but, like, it's just like the, the factor of, like, I, I think I'm more talking about the fact that, like, how important it is to have more than one really, really good line. And the fact that, like, you can have a guy like Taylor Hall and Craig Smith, who's in his own right has been pretty good too, um, is, like, you know, and you add that element to it, it's, like, all of a sudden you're you're dealing with, like, a line 1A and line 1B type situation where it's, like, 
okay, Bergeron's off the ice, few kind of things. You can't do that anymore when David Krejci's there because he's been pretty good. Um, so, so I think it's it's um it's kind of cool with that. The only thing I will say is that like this has been something that you know a good winger for David Krejci has been something that the Bruins have needed since like 2014 when Aginla and Lucic were on the team, and now. That that was six years ago. <laughs> that was seven years ago, actually. So like, um, and now David Krejci is on his last year of his contract. Uh, also, Taylor Hall's on his last year of his contract. Um, we knew about that, but um, and Tuka Rass is also on his last year of his contract. Um, so I would wait to see um how the playoffs shakes up, but I. I don't think the Bruins will be able to sign all three of those players the way that they're playing right now. Um, and, and that's going to be a tough decision to, for the Bruins to make. Because um, there is a potential that David Krejci may go to another team. Um, and I'm not sure if I would love that. <laughs> um, so um, it, it's, it's kind of... Um, I, I just like the fact that at least he finally gets his due. It feels like people are finally paying attention to him back in Bruins land, that he's finally living up to that um, $7 million a year contract. Yeah, so we will talk about uh, the impact of David Krejci since the Taylor Hall trade, but I think it's worth noting that leading up to the Taylor Hall trade, the Bruins were not looking good nope. at all. Um, there, there was, you know, is Tuka Rask healthy enough? Is Yaroslav Halak healthy enough this Jeremy Swayman kid's looking good but then we got throttled eight to one by Washington right. and then all of a sudden we get Taylor Hall and it's just like okay now we're back in the game boy a day and after we're... they get Taylor Hall by the way it wasn't yeah just, yeah. yeah literally hours after they got throttled right. by Washington they get Taylor Hall what 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 a turn of events that was yeah um but yeah since the Taylor Hall trade um this team as a whole has looked pretty good in fact I was taking a look at the minus sheet brett chris wagner is a minus one in 10 games and doesn't have a single point since the taylor hall trade that is the only minus player in the bruins roster oh, wow. in fact there are seven guys who are plus 10 or better da- uh, taylor hall is one of them and david Krejci is also one of them um but i think in terms of guys that have benefited the most statistically definitely yes taylor hall near a point per game pace since the trade but David Krejci, like over a point per game pace, uh, 27.3 shooting percentage. Like this guy is 76 shots on goal and eight goals overall this season. 10.5 shooting percentage. Six goals on 22 shots since the Taylor Hall trade. Eight by seven giveaways. And his time on ice per game in the past 12 games where he's gotten 14 points is 16 minutes, five seconds. His time on ice per game over the entire year is 17 minutes and five seconds, which is a full minute under. So in a minute less per game during this stretch, David Krejci has been able to produce with, with less. And that, that is very, very good for the Boston Bruins when you consider the perfection line of Pasternak, Bergeron, Marchand, yeah, you can count on those guys until the end of time. 
they're just automatic. Regular season playoff doesn't matter. They're going to continue to do their thing. When the Bruins went on that run in 2019, you had guys like Sean Corrali getting it done. You had guys like Charlie Coyle getting goals, setting up big plays. When they haven't gone deep in the playoffs or as deep as they should, secondary scoring at times for, for some areas of the Bruins' offense has been put into question, like Big DeBrusk and Nick Ritchie uh, last season, for example. So the fact that you have a secondary line that's as lethal as Taylor Hall and David Krejci is absolutely huge going into the playoffs. And if they keep this going, the Bruins could be a very big playoff threat and a very tough one to contain especially if they don't win the first round and they somehow find themselves in a 2-3 matchup, regardless of where they finish, at the end of the day, the Bruins are going to have their hands full and they're going to need both the first line and the second line rolling on all cylinders and everyone else ready to play. It's not going to be an easy road for them at all to, to go deep this year. So this this is a big development for them and it definitely can't be underestimated as we go into the first round. Yeah, I think. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I think it's it's definitely one of those things. As I'm being cautiously optimistic as a Bruins fan here, like I, like I see how good they're playing right now, and I hope that they can continue this to the playoffs. But I also, at the same time, like you were saying, I don't want them to get too hot at the wrong moment. So um, I'm just hopeful that they continue to to be okay. Um, in the playoffs and we'll see, we'll go from there. But, um, yeah, it's, it's definitely an exciting time for sure here. Um, and then lastly, we have here, uh, UC Saros. Um, we, uh, we actually picked this, uh, the stat from, uh, for, for some reason, but, uh, he, uh, from February 18th to the present day, uh, it was just, when he started to play well, I think we, we figured out when he, UC Sarah started to play like a God all of a sudden, um, he has, uh, he's 17, six and one. Um, and that's, uh, and he has a GAA of 1.87 GAA and a save percentage of 942 save, uh, save percentage. Uh, three of those games were shutouts, um, as well. So, um, yeah, this is, it's, it was interesting too, because I feel like in February, or like middle February, when he was uh, a little bit more shaky, uh, we were starting to like wonder like, okay, it seems like Nashville is going to be sellers and they're not going to be in the playoffs and uh, they're going to be one of the wor- worst teams in the league type thing. And then all of a sudden UC Cerro starts to like will them into the playoffs. And to, I mean, they're, they haven't clinched just yet, but they're pretty close to it. Um, and I think a big re- a big part of that is because of UC Saros' his play. Um, I think it's also important to note that the fact that um, Pekka Rene uh, is going to is going to be a UFA this off season as well. So um, it seems like Nashville has finally found their uh, their goaltender of the future. Um, like at the perfect time because they also have Askarov and he's going to take a couple more years to actually truly get ready. But UC Saros has been pretty good and he'll hold the mantle until Askarov is ready. Um, and, and we'll see how, and that's not a sure thing either. Um, and I think uh, the other thing I do want to say about Saros is the fact that like, 
a similar thing happened last year too is where like Saros st- uh, started poorly um had a bad start and then st- start starting at the end there of like the last two months he started to pick it up and actually become like the the goaltender that we thought he would be um so it's kind of cool to see that he's he's been doing pretty well i'd imagine he'll he won't get the vezina but i think he'll get some nominations or he'll get um he'll be like the top three um maybe he'll get the full nominee he'll get the vezina himself but um yeah he's been unbelievable and a big reason why nashville has um even a shot at the playoffs at worst, I'll be shocked if he's not top five. I think he's yeah. surely going to be top five in Vesna voting. Has to be. Yep. Because it the Preds aren't where they are if not for UC Saros. They're they're basically dead by March if not for Saros starting to pick it up. And it was pretty clear in the first couple of weeks. Um, it, it didn't look good. There were a couple of outings where four plus goals somehow got by him. And Nashville needed a successor for Pecorine ASAP because as good as he could be in the right role, he's not, I don't think Pecorine is the number one goalie we're so used to seeing. And they need UC Saros to step it up. And the good news is he has. He's sixth in wins this year, top 10 goalie in goals against and save percentage, seventh in shots based and fifth in shots stopped. Uh, from February 18th onwards, you mentioned the sparkling GAA, the sparkling save percentage, the great record. He's gotten both, or sorry, not both. He's gotten all of his three shutouts February 18th onwards. Yep. He is fifth in shots against, or shots faced since then, and 746 saves. Only one other goalie, I think it's Vasilevsky, that has stopped more shots than him from February 18th onwards. And Vasilevsky is an elite goaltender, so that's nothing to sneeze at as well. Now, when you look at the split stats, this is where it gets interesting. On eight occasions, when facing 35-plus shots, UC Saros is 5-3-0, and he's faced at least 30 shots in over half his starts, but it's usually 30, 31, 32, at most 30, been relatively consistent for the most part. His single-game highs when it comes to shots faced this year by order of most shots face 55 which was a game against florida where nashville lost seven to four and florida had that massive comeback but like florida was basically shooting the lights out on the preds through two periods and saros was holding nashville in the game and actually nashville was ahead four to three if i remember correctly heading into the third period and at that point, Florida got like four or five goals in the third period to take control of that game and ice it. Um, but UC Saros was the only reason why Nashville had a chance to win that game. It wasn't his fault that Florida took control in the third period. Like the first two periods of that game, he was just standing on his head. Right. So that was the most shots he faced this year, and I think that was also a career high too. But he also faced 48 shots, 47 shots, 44 shots, on two occasions, he faced 41, and he also faced 40 shots. That stretch of games included four games against Florida, so you can tell Florida loves on this guy, and one game against the Carolina Hurricanes. Now you take a look at the split stats, where he owns a 907 save percentage in three games against Carolina. However, when you look at his record, 0-2 on the year against the Hurricanes. 
Now, take a look at his record against Florida. Stunning 933 save percentage. The GAA is 3.04 because, again, they love scoring on this guy and they love putting pucks on net, a lot of them. And he has a 2-2 two two record over five starts. That's pretty, that's pretty respectable, I would say. Mm-hmm. Uh, against Tampa Bay, well, <laughs> that's where you see this the luck start to dry out a little bit. He's one and two against the Bolts, but his GAA is 4.06 and his save percentage is not even 900. I think it's like 850 something. Interesting. So yeah, yeah, Tampa Bay is able to pretty good. You look against Dallas where Saros is three and three and here come the bottom feeders below them. And now you start to see why he was so dominant. Five Oh and one against Chicago 4-0 4-0 against Detroit, 5-1 when facing Columbus. So against the teams that Nashville should beat, they've beaten them, and Saros has been the main factor as to why. So now the big test moving forward for UC Saros is okay. When you start to face a little bit of everything, not just the good and the bad in your division, how is he going to perform? I think long-term, he could be the number one starter in Nashville. And I think he'll get maybe like a three-year contract or a four-year contract to prove it. Definitely today, it seems like he's the current number one starter for them, which is good. They need that to happen. At the same time, you don't draft Yaroslav Astrov near the top 10 just for him to be a backup. Right. Yaroslav Astrov's being hyped as a future number one netminder. So the work doesn't end for UC Saros. Once Askarov turns pro and he gets his chances in the big leagues, Steros has got to fend him off and keep his job. And that I don't think that's going to be an easy task as people think. So it'll be interesting how the dynamics of that play out in the coming years when Askarov's ready to turn pro. Yeah, I, it will be interesting to see what uh, what happens in, in uh, for Nashville in the future. But I think it's like a good problem to have for Nashville for sure because it's like if Askarov is as good as they say he is, um, and Saros is clearly pretty good right now. I think it's it's probably a good a good reason to like you know maybe they do make it a one A one B type thing, um, and then see uh, which one's the better goalie at that time. But that's something they that have to worry about uh, later on. Um, so actually, Steve, I know that we weren't going to talk about Tom Wilson, but the Rangers j- just put out. A statement that I feel like we have to talk about, and I okay. would regret it if we don't talk about it. And I do want to get your reaction to it. But to remind everyone else, in case you've been living under a rock, on Monday night, uh, Tom Wilson uh, went again, did some of his, went back to his old. He was old being Tom Wilson. Yeah, he was Tom being Tom Wilson. Wilson. Was being I was going to say Wilson. that he what did, happened? he was just being Tom Wilson. He was going back to his old shenanigans. Um, although arguably he's always been doing this, so he's he's just doing his own shenanigans. Uh, but anyways, in particular, he punched uh, Pavel Buchnevich in the back of the head while he was down on the ice, uh, kind of sucker punched him, and also Panarin uh, was uh, injured later on uh, due to the fact that the refs didn't really call it and, and something like that. So uh, Tom Wilson gets fined. Uh, he doesn't get suspended like he did for Brandon Carlo. Both uh, Steve and I are, I think, are in the agreement that Tom Wilson ha- cannot grow up for some reason and should not even be in the NHL. 
Um, but for whatever reason, the Washington Capitals still defend him and all that stuff. So the Rangers put out the statement, and I will, I want to hear your your reactions to this because it was it's probably the most damning letter I think I've ever seen a team team write. Um, Are they going to investigate him like Melnick uh, threatened to investigate Matt Cook after the Eric Carlson incident? That's it's close. It's close. Um, oh, okay, then I'm intrigued now. <laughs> Anyways, the New York Rangers are extremely disappointed that Capitals forward Tom Wilson was not suspended for his horrifying act of violence last night at Madison Square Garden. Wilson is a repeat offender with a long history of these types of acts, and we find it shocking that the NHL and their Department of Player Safety failed to take the appropriate action and suspend him indefinitely. Uh, Wilson's dangerous and reckless action caused an injury to Artemi Panarin that will prevent him from playing again this season. We view this as a dereliction of duty by NHL head of player safety George Peros and believe he is unfit to continue in his current role. So they literally so call out George Peros. the head of player safety? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> like, literally said, like, uh, he's... he's by name. Uh, by name, yeah. They, they literally just did that. Um, I mean... I, 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 like, that's, that's probably, like, I mean, I love it. <laughs> like, it's just t- a team telling it like it is, and I, I love it. Um, I, I, I'm sure there's going to be more to this story eventually, because maybe the Rangers are going to get fined for, for calling out George Peros, but, um, but I can't say that I, I blame the Rangers, because, uh, Tom Wilson deserved more than, uh, a, a fine, um, and, and all that stuff, but it was definitely, um, <laughs> definitely a crazy uh, statement to make. Yeah, uh, we we won't go like too deep into this because we've we've run around this roller coaster yep. a couple of times, and that preseason hit on Oscar Sundquist, for example. Yep. Where and Brandy Carlo there was an actual suspension and a noteworthy suspension that was eventually reduced. Yep. But there was, I think it was like 20 plus games or close to that originally for Tom Wilson for that. And it doesn't seem like anything's changed. And at some point, you have to ask where the accountability is. And we've said it numerous times. If there's no accountability on the ice, the referees or the team, or if there's no accountability from the Department of Player Safety who enforce stuff that probably hasn't been enforced as well as it should be on the ice. If you have no accountability in any of those parts, you get ugly Bertuzzi Moore style incidents and it will come to that. I don't know if it's the Rangers and the Capitals, but it's going to come to it. One of these days, Tom Wilson's going to find himself in a sticky situation and someone's, I fear someone could get seriously hurt because of it, whether it's retaliation or whether it's the actual action itself it, it it can't get to that point the nhl needs to step in player safety i think has let tom wilson off the hook far too much and i think the caps haven't done a good enough job at telling tom wilson to stop doing it yeah like how many more wake-up calls if you're tom wilson do you need here yeah. Um, so yeah, I yeah, think I, I, I'm just flabbergasted how a five thousand dollars for the actions that he did. I, I'm flabbergasted how they think that fits the crime. I just don't get it. Yeah, I don't get it either. Uh, I'm yeah, I'm at the same point as you, Steve. I, like I'm sick of talking about this because uh, it's like it's just at the point where it's like he he hasn't grown up clearly. 
Um, like, you know, I guess say what you want about Brad Marchand, but at least he's, he's like cleaned up his, his act and he's, you know, I guess all those hits in the past have, you know, were definitely like dirty and stuff and I hated defending it when I did, but like, at least like, he, you know, he's, he's a good player. Um, Tom Wilson's also a good player and he doesn't like, that's the most frustrating part is like Tom Wilson doesn't need to do this stuff. He's He's mm-hmm. good in his yeah. own right. Um, he doesn't have to pull off this stuff. Um, so that's annoying. The fact that, like, the Capitals aren't even, like, they sent out this tweet saying that, like, you're all just jealous that he's not on your team. It's just like, no, he's, like, he's a murderer, basically. He's Yeah, like, it would be interesting <laughs> he's a how psychopath. the Cavs Twitter, we hate the Cavs fans... Yeah. Yeah. How how the Cavs players and yeah. coaches and management would act if Tom Wilson played for the Rangers right. and did this. Yeah. If this was if the Cavs were on the receiving end of this, I don't think they would be responding in such a manner. It's all about the guy and the jersey he's wearing. Yep. If he's wearing your jersey, I'm sure you like Tom Wilson because he's a six foot seven guy that that can be a very skillful forward and he can get on opponent's skin. And it's fine if, if you're like Brady Kachuk and you just you, you kind of like talk trash and all that and you like you play the game hard. Right. What Tom Wilson did wasn't playing the game hard. What Tom Wilson did was a cheap shot yep. after the play. That's not allowed. Period. Mm-hmm. Anyways, I, I think we're both sick of talking about it and yeah. we both expressed our opinion here. It's just uh, mm-hmm. that that part also like annoyed me where like the capitals are like you're all just upset or something it's just like come on man it's, yeah well we are upset <laughs> we're upset not because not not because he's like we don't have him on our team it's because he's a psychopath <laughs> like like that's that's really why we're upset um so uh yeah uh that's that's about it on that note um our our twitter is lace up uh, podcast. Our Facebook is Lace Them Up. Um, you can catch us on Spotify, iTunes, and um, yeah, and 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 you know, podcast um, wherever you get your podcasts and stuff. Um, I'm Brett Dubuff. I'm Steve Ellsworth. We'll talk again in episode 268 of the Lace Them Up podcast. <laughs>